welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And our show is located on the ancestral lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumloops Tay-Sequetan territory within the unceded traditional lands of Sequetan Ulu. And today's text, High School by Tegan and Sarah, takes place in Calgary, Alberta, the traditional territory of the people of the Treaty 7 region of Southern Alberta, which includes the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Sutina First Nation, and the Stony Nakoda. The city of Calgary is also home to the Métis Nation of Alberta Region 3. Mm. So we're in Canada. Yes, actually, this is really exciting for me, Brenna, because I grew up in Calgary. So there's a lot of geographical references that I was immediately connecting with. It's also like when you were in high school, it's like the exact years. Mm-hmm. I know. Yeah, I was reading yeah. it. I was like, I wonder if Joe is this cool. <laughs> I was not. And I was definitely <laughs> not dropping acid. Oh, my God. The first thing I messaged Joe was, was everyone in high school doing this much acid? I was not informed. Oh, boy. Yeah, I was not having the same life as Tegan and Sarah, apparently. No, it's amazing because they spend a lot of time in the book telling us about how, like, dorky and, like, not fitting any they were. But, like, mm-hmm. wow. They're going to raves. They're yeah. dropping acid. Yeah. They're sneaking yeah. out. Yeah. Much cooler than me. <laughs> <laughs> but, Breda, I feel like you and I have a connection to this text because we're Canadian and we probably have a pretty good sense of who Tegan and Sarah are. But... I don't know that our international listeners are going to have a clue what we're talking about. Oh, okay. Well, Tegan and Sarah are like, I don't know, Canadian indie darlings, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. They really kind of exploded on the scene in the early 2000s, I guess. And they have been nominated for Grammys. So some mm-hmm. of our listeners may be familiar. Um, but what was always significant about Tegan and Sarah were they were two queer women who were really in control of their image, their art. The book sort of kind of tracks them from seeking out a record deal to kind of the DIY approach to their music that they ended up taking. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so, you know, it's it's indie pop. It's really heavily acoustically driven. Uh, it's It's great. People should listen to it if they haven't. <laughs> My God, Brenda, you're also burying the lead. They're identical twin sisters. Oh, yeah. No, they're twins, right. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, everything else that you said is also accurate. I do feel like they've really broken out within like the last 10 or 15 years. I mean, they had their kind of indie stage, but they did the lead song for the Lego movie. Oh, yeah, that's right. I, you, you would think I would know that because it was on repeat in our house for a very long time. Oh, I bet it was. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, they've been – I think they've had quite an interesting career. They've had – yeah, they've gone from being sort of indie darlings to, like, pop stars. Um, mm-hmm. They've been kind of all over the place. And I don't know. The, the thing that, to me, is really kind of indicative of Tegan and Sarah's music is you can really hear, like – the kind of grunge influence of their early days, even all the way into their very poppiest music. And a lot Mm -hmm. of people were upset when Heartthrob came out because that was the big kind of pop album. But I think it's cool that they've explored all over the place in their careers. I think they're neat. People should listen to them. Yeah. I actually spent the week in anticipation of this episode listening to some of their recent albums because I listened a lot to... 
I think it's probably Heartstopper, but uh, whichever one has closer on it, Mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. single closer, because I was a really big fan of it. And yeah, like their music is very catchy, but even the more accessible, very quote unquote, traditionally pop radio friendly kind of stuff still maintains a lot of that personality that we ultimately end up seeing in the book, right? Like we're we're introduced to them when they're going into high school, hence the title of the book and also the TV show. But it just feels like they're coming into their own voices and you can mm-hmm. continue to see them really putting themselves into their music. Like they didn't sell out. They just got maybe a more mainstream kind of sound. Yeah. And I, I should note here, because if we do have any Tegan and Sarah super fans listening, they would want us to note that this book also came out alongside their ninth studio album, which was called Hey, I'm Just Like You. And on Hey, I'm Just Like You, they re-record a lot of the songs that they wrote when they were in high school. So oh, a whole bunch of okay. their unreleased demos, yeah, get re-recorded on that album. And so it's a, it's a fun one to listen along to if you're reading high school. Nice. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'll start by telling you what the book's about, Joe. Yeah, because Brenna, I think that this is maybe the first biography that we've ever done. Yeah, I know. I was thinking it's not the first nonfiction, I don't think, but I don't... You don't want to count Go Ask Alice? (laughs) 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 But definitely a memoir, and particularly, you know, the structure of the memoir is quite unique. So Mm -hmm. each chapter is narrated back and forth by either Tegan or Sarah, oftentimes where they are recounting the same event uh, from the other one's perspective. And so... We get a lot of development of the two of them as separate characters. I do find that sometimes the voice blends, which oh, yeah. I mean, one one would expect. But um, but yeah. So basically, the the story is oh, it's a it's a story of the artist as a young man kind of framing. Mm-hmm. It's it's the arc that they take to becoming singer songwriters. What's really interesting, and I think threw off a lot of critics originally, is like. Uh, like 150 pages into the book before they pick up a guitar for the first time. Oh boy. And also the same with the show. You're not getting a guitar until like episode five of eight. Yeah. So if you're expecting this to be sort of all music all the time, although Mm-mm. both both the book and the show have a great soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. But it's much more about their relationship to each other, um, their relationship to their mom, what it was like to realize you were queer in 1990s Calgary. Mm -hmm. It's really about all of those things, friendships and first girlfriends and what it feels like to fall in love for the first time and what it feels like to fall out of love for the first time. It's about all of those things as much as it's about the music, which I really appreciated because I Mm -hmm. often read music memoirs. I like it as a genre, um, but there's a sameness to them, right? Like usually they start with like, I got my first guitar when I was five and I was writing songs when I was seven. Whereas the girls sort of stumble into their relationship to music and it's a very organic journey uh, with a lot of drugs. Um, (laughs) And it's immensely readable. It's a really, I said to Joe, it's longer than I expected it to be, but it's very pleasurable to read. Mm Hmm. And maybe before we proceed any further, I'm going to acknowledge this is not our first biography because when you were talking about reading music biographies, I remembered that we did cover Greetings from Bury Park, oh, Race, yeah. Religion, and Rock and Roll. That's right, which was fantastic as well. Um, agree to disagree. Yeah. <laughs> 
No, I, I do agree with you, however, that high school is incredibly readable. I didn't enjoy the experience of trying to read this longer than expected book in about four days because the Toronto Public Library took forever to deliver my copy. So it was very much a race against time, which made this slightly less enjoyable because I was just kind of like, okay, like get get to the big stuff. And I think unfortunately, that made me either miss or have to compromise on the enjoyment of just getting to spend time with queer teens coming to address their sexuality, adjusting to a, a fairly middle class suburban life that mm -hmm. they maybe yearn to break free from. And I think the book is stronger in those moments where it's doing a bit of slice of life as opposed to yes, the portrait of an artist as a young man. Well, part of the issue with the music stuff, Joe, and I realize that I haven't given like a straightforward plot summary, but it's because the mm -hmm. book itself is like a lot of vignettes. We start at the beginning yeah. of high school, we end at the end of high school. There's sort of an ongoing narrative about where they're going to live because their stepdad is in construction and he's built this house. They're living in this place in the suburbs, but they're building a house downtown, which mm -hmm. is everybody's really excited about. So yep. that's all going on in, in terms of like a plot through line, but but it is a vignette style story with the two it perspectives really playing off each other. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of fascinating because I don't know if you found this, Joe, but like when you get to the music stuff, the book really speeds up. It does. And a lot. it speeds up because basically from the time they pick up a guitar, nothing sets them back. Did you notice that? I kept waiting for like the bad gig, the bad right. show, the no. bad review. There's one bad review in the whole book. It's like... Mm -hmm. And it's from a college newspaper. Yeah. So that, that girl can go F herself, right? <laughs> it's a really meteoric rise and the book speeds up appropriately with it. But mm -hmm. I'm I am very much more used to artists. The hardships. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The hardships are all sort of in life and not in art, apparently here. No, and I, I wonder if maybe that's a bit of what this narrative is really trying to sell. And I, I don't mean that disingenuously. Like I don't think that this is a doctored manuscript of any kind. But it seems like the girls are aimless and they don't like they really do not get along with one another mm -hmm. until they start to craft music. And you still get a sense that they still fight and they still bicker. But when it comes to their art and their career, they are much more single minded. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. And, and so what we get instead are the trials and tribulations of two sisters living in close proximity and struggling mm -hmm. with that both sort of realizing independently their queerness and not really even having each other to talk to about it, which I kind of found fascinating as a dynamic. Mm -hmm. um, the ways in which they struggle with their mom, which, by the way, if you've only seen the TV show, the mom is a lot nicer in the book. I <laughs> Just shout out to moms everywhere. <laughs> mom is trying real hard in the book. Um, yeah, but I mean, I feel like you also don't really get a good perspective on anyone else except the two of them that's in the true. book. Like, characters come in and out. And I will say, Brenna and I had this conversation off mic. We're going to apologize in advance if we mm. kind of confuse any of the girls who are within Tegan and Sarah's lives, because... There's kind of like a, a rotating turnstile of girls that we have crushes on and they kind of come and go like at one point there's a girl named Tess who lives in a rundown party house and yeah. she shows up for maybe half a chapter 
and that she's never spoken of again. And in some ways, that's very true to life, especially in high school, where people kind of flit in and out, and you maybe have a crush, and then they're gone. But as a reader, it sometimes became very challenging to be like, who's Tess and who's Naomi and who's the other girl? There's a Jessica in here somewhere. <laughs> like, it, it just became a like, these are a lot of generic girl names. <laughs> and they're all very 90s. Well, I mean, they're 80s girls names, right? <laughs> like mm -hmm. in high school. But um, in addition to that, we end up when we transition to the TV show, all the names are changed, which yes. I hypothesized to Joe's because they change a lot of the plot details for the show, which obviously, mm -hmm. and these are all real human beings. So yes. the desire to change their names to get some critical distance, I think you can see happening. Mm -hmm. But then you have nothing to anchor yourself if you've no. read the book and you're like, oh no, now there's just all these names. There's just more names. <laughs> just so many names. What am I meant to do with this? <laughs> so many white girl names. It's a lot of white girl names. But I mean, <laughs> hello, that was also Kyle Green in the 90s. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting how the TV show makes some attempts to diversify the cast, but within the context of 1990s Calgary middle class mm. suburb, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I can speak from my own experience. I had a very white upbringing, but, you know, I went to a French immersion school, so I did spend time with kids who were francophone. There were a couple of kids of color, but yeah, it was predominantly middle class, white, and, well, I mean, I can't say uh, cis-hetero because a lot of us didn't know who we were at the time. Mm. Yeah, I was going to say, how did the um, the sort of representation of this kind of creeping realization of queerness that mm. both the girls go through in really different ways? Like, yeah. Tegan is much more comfortable once she realizes that she has feelings for Alex than Sarah ever is in her relationship to Naomi. Yeah, which is hysterical, though, because Sarah seems so much more yeah. overtly sexual. Like, she, she recognizes far earlier, I think, than Tegan – I'm not labeling myself gay or queer or lesbian, but she's definitely uh, embracing her more sexual side, right? Like she's making advances on the girls that she has crushes with to see if they reciprocate the feelings on things like what could be construed as dates, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You think that Sarah is much more confident in herself when you read mm -hmm. about her through Tegan's perspective than yes. when you read Sarah's own chapters. Yes. Which I think is fascinating. It's one of the strengths, I think, of the way the book is written. And I think the TV show tries to replicate that in some of the way that it's put together stylistically. Yeah, and we'll we'll get to that and the way perspective plays in the show very, very differently and sometimes to greater effect and sometimes not. Not so much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So in the context of the book, we have this fascinating silence around queerness, even as it is yes. very much a book about a queer coming of age, well, two queer comings of age, because Tegan and Sarah don't talk to each other about no. the way they feel about their friends. And even though they both recognize it in each other, like there's points where Sarah will literally bother Tegan, like calling her friends her girlfriend. And yeah. you're just like, why are you doing this to each other? Yeah, it's mean. And they also it is. don't it's mean. <laughs> they also don't confide in their mom, even though they're very close to their mom in, in most other respects. And mm -hmm. you know, their friends really envy the relationship they have with their mom because their mom is more of a pal in many ways than like well, a, she's an authority younger, figure. Yeah. She's a little bit cooler and she also is working to become a social worker. So she I think just comes off more empathetic. Yeah, but still they don't talk about it. And it's really nope. fascinating <laughs> because simultaneously, 
there's a real fluidity around like how the girls choose to dress and Mm -hmm. the choices they make about their gender presentation and the sort of kind of gender ambiguity maybe of the 90s that was very much kind of a vogue. So there's this interesting contrast. And it's something I'm thinking about a lot, you know, you know, there's a lot of pressure now, I think, on kids to kind of label and define themselves mm-hmm. at the same time as there's all this rigidity around gender roles right now, very little room for kind of play and creativity. And I'm... Oh, no. Yeah, you, you've you got to define yourself, however that may be, but you still are expected to slap a label on it. Yeah, and then fit within that label, right? Like, it's something mm-hmm. that I watch with kids right now I'm finding really interesting. And here... There's so much more space for all of these different kinds of girls to sort of coexist. And yet Mm -hmm. the silence remains sort of overwhelming. Yeah, it it is fascinating, right? Like there's a couple of points where both Tegan and Sarah will venture off to date a guy because they do feel some kind of connection with them, whether it's through music or through their friendship groups. And yet, you know, the minute that it becomes sexual, they sort of break it off or they drift away because they ultimately realize that's not being true to their authentic self, even if they're never labeling it as such. A silent prayer for Spencer here. Oh, poor Spencer. <laughs> and and that one blonde-haired boy that, you know, we go to visit on the outskirts of town and have a great, like, day at the lake. And then, oh, he's actually a kind gentleman and he doesn't want to... He doesn't want to have sex, so it's like, okay, well, we're done with you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, it's a very weird experience for me because I, as you said, grew up in this space in this time. I fully went to raves in the mid to late 90s, Brenna. So like the idea Joe, that I might really? have I might have interacted with Tegan and Sarah and probably never known it. But yeah, I mean, it was very much a culture that was informed by the Seattle grunge and Nirvana. Like, my friends were so into Nirvana and all of these other bands. So hearing the music that Tegan and Sarah are into, it really felt like I could have been part of this crowd. And it was wild. (laughs) Did you do acid at the raves? I did not. No, I was a straight lace Just checking. Just checking. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even drink. I like I didn't do any of that because my parents had the kind of open door policy where they said, if you want to do stuff, we will support you, but we want you to do it at home. Mm. So I drank with my parents when I was in middle school and high school, but it was never, you know, to blackout status because my parents were there. So I, I feel like I ended up developing an appreciation for that but i also didn't want to try harder stuff oh that's interesting Uh uh-huh credit to my parents they they got a bunch of stuff wrong not (laughs) maliciously but they also did i think do this part really really right because when i went to university i saw people just completely fall off the wagon with freedom because they had never had parents who trusted them it's an interesting tension in the book because as much as Sonia is like friends with the girls and mm-hmm. has a really close relationship with the exception of this ability to talk about sexuality. She's she's drawn this extremely hard line, right? Like every time they go out to a party, she's like, make sure nobody's drinking. Mm-hmm. You know, are there going to be parents there? And so the girls just like, they just lie to her. They start mm-hmm. lying to her when they're about 15 and they do not stop. No, I'm I'm curious because your experience was on the other side of the country and you're a year or two removed from some of this. But, you know, I fully remember my sister plotting 
against my parents where she would say, yeah, I'm going to go to this friend's house, but actually I'm going out on a date with a boy. So like a lot of their behavior where they would sort of like the left hand is saying one thing while the right hand is doing something else felt very reminiscent of teenage girl rebellion. Oh, yeah. I was so boring, Joe. I, um, <laughs> I mean, you and I are super boring. <laughs> I mean, really. I think part of it was like I had an older brother who definitely pushed the envelope with my parents a right. lot. Um, He definitely would say he was going one place and went go somewhere else. He definitely like drank and smoked pot and stuff. Mm. And like they fought a lot. And right. I – I mean, it's not conscious, right? But I'm five years younger, and I think, uh-huh. like, everybody just looked so tired all the time, and I was just like... <laughs> it's not worth it. I'm not gonna do any of that at all. <laughs> and here's the thing. I'm also the younger child, so I wonder if you and I just kind of learned by proximity, oh, it's not worth it. Look at how upset everybody is. <laughs> yeah. I'll just stay home and yeah. read. <laughs> I don't know if it's true for every youngest kid, but it was definitely for me, like, and I I think I have a personality. I'm a path of least resistance person in most of Mm -hmm. my interactions with people. Sure. Sometimes to my own detriment. And I think that that it can be a, that could, depending on the dynamic of the older sibling, that can definitely be a younger sibling thing. Right. I'm just going to stay out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. And it's actually, I find the sibling dynamic of Tegan and Sarah very interesting because Mm -hmm. they are twins. So. There's not like an obvious one is going to be like sort of setting the setting the boundary or setting the tone and this one's going to be following. It's very mm-hmm. much like depending on the issue, they back each other up, but they also right. call each other out depending on what's going on. And I found that a really interesting dynamic. Yeah, yeah. Like I think Sarah is slightly more adventurous mm-hmm. in a lot of ways and Tegan gets kind of dragged into it. But at the same time, it's not like Tegan is a saint and she's nope. not drudging up her own share of troubles and drama. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And that's I mean, <laughs> it's the drama that makes the book really fun, right? But I sure. I I definitely read it and felt like, like I'm only three years younger than Tegan and Sarah and I really <laughs> I felt so boring. I felt very oh, boring gosh, from yeah. page one. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and and not knowing anything about them except for their music and the fact that they have been working in the music industry for ages, it was kind of shocking and revelatory to read, you know, oh, yeah, these were kind of bad girls. Not bad, bad girls, but, you know, they had some pretty wild adventures. And it's fascinating because it runs almost contrast to how I would consider them now as adults. Yeah. Well, it's it's so interesting. I was trolling their social media posts around the time the book came out. Mm-hmm. And there's one on, I think it was on Tegan's Facebook, where Bruce, her stepdad, was reading the book right. uh, for the first time. And, oh, and Bruce. <laughs> I kind of love Bruce. I love Bruce. And she asked him what he thought of it. And he said, he said, I'm amazed you and your sister can even write a book because you did so much acid, you little S-H-I-T. Burn. <laughs> but true, because it seems like they were doing that a lot. A lot. And at 15, right? They kind of mm-hmm. they kind of burn out on acid before they even get to grade 11. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like they do it hardcore for about a year to two years. And then it really does, as you said, it feels like they pick up that guitar and just everything in their life fits into place like that was the missing thing and from there they're on a kind of like skyrocket towards superstardom but also their their life becomes dramatically less about 
the drugs and the conflict and all this other stuff. Like, I don't think their heartbreak gets any easier, but no. their lives become much more focused. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And and let's just say, Joe, this is, um, you know, I was joking the other week that like, maybe we need to stop doing books about artists because the mm -hmm. art in the books about artists is always so bad. Right. But I love their Not first the songs yet. that they write. <laughs> like their earliest songs have so much um, heart and mm -hmm. the wordplay is so clever, like right from their yeah. earliest compositions. It's so much fun. Yeah, it makes it like, in some ways, I think if you didn't know these were real people, you would think that their rise was a little too easy. Yeah. But the fact is, is the talent is very clearly there. And it seems like everyone recognizes it immediately. Like they're fooling around on the guitar and they get discovered by Bruce and their mom. And they immediately are like, oh, we're not going to get mad at you because yeah. not only are you two getting along, but that sounds really great. What else you got? <laughs> yeah, I do. I love that dynamic of the mom realizing like that we have a calm moment here. <laughs> Let's run mm -hmm. with it. Oh my God. Embrace that. <laughs> Should we transition and talk about the show? Absolutely. Yeah. What happened to your eye? My sister punched me in the face. Are you guys twins? No. Yes. You've had to share everything. Maybe this is an opportunity for you to make your own friends. Did we get tired of dropping everything for her? I'm not dropping everything. It's more like I'm waiting. Were you just playing guitar? Yeah. A song you wrote? Can I hear it? Fine. I think it's better having it be our secret. Totally. What would happen if you stopped waiting? Okay, so high school is, uh, interestingly enough, a kind of pet project of one Clea Duval, who both writes a bunch of episodes and directs, I think, nearly the entire season, if I'm not mistaken. And Brenna, do you know who Clea Duval is? I googled it. <laughs> okay, well, it's a person. <laughs> Uh, she is a very prominent lesbian actor and also now director, but she got most famous for uh, starring in a bunch of teen films in the mid to late 90s, such as The Faculty. And her most famous one is But I'm a Cheerleader, about a girl who slowly discovers that she is a lesbian at summer camp. But she also directed Happiest Season, one of my like mm -hmm. favorite Christmas movies. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. I hate that movie. Do you really? I really do. I don't like the way it presents queerness at all. Oh my gosh. Okay. Fascinating. We have to have yeah, this conversation later. we'll talk later. about that another time. <laughs> I just really like Dan Levy and he's in so few things. Uh, fair. Fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I like a lot of things about that movie. I just don't like the narrative. So I think that's fair. Mm-hmm. So the show has the mom now as Simone and she is played by Colby Smolders. How I Met Your Mother, baby. Uh, yeah. And of course, Maria Walt from all the mcu films oh okay wouldn't know that that's fine uh <laughs> bruce has now become patrick he is played by kyle bornheimer and i love kyle born uh i've never seen this actor before mm -hmm. i really like him as not bruce 
yeah no he's and and really it's like it's not bruce but it's exactly bruce where yeah. he's the most supportive stepfather except for this one instance where he uses an f-slur against kurt cobain and it really just kind of cracks the world open about like you're a person i deeply admire and respect and i cannot have you be using that word oh and his apology is just so good and that scene is so good and oh mm -hmm. mm. i liked it more in the book yeah it's better even though book. i felt like the impact was like coming just at the right time in the tv show yeah agreed 100 percent. um but we've not talked about the two main leads so we have real life twin sisters who i gathered got famous on tiktok oh uh, so we have rayleigh galliland who plays tegan and then we have season gilliland who plays sarah so Tegan has a good friendship that she develops with Maya, who is played by Amanda Fix. And uh, Sarah has not Naomi in the TV show. She has Phoebe, who is um, she looks so French Canadian to me, yeah. but she's actually not. <laughs> no. She's not even Canadian. But Phoebe is played by Olivia Rouillere. And then uh, Sarah also has a crush on Allie, who is played by Brienne Zhu, who I love because she's in a bunch of genre stuff, frequently playing uh, queer characters as well. And Sarah also has a fun, albeit odd, relationship with Natalie, who is uh, played by Esther McGregor. She's the kind of pixie girl who's very outspoken in drama class. Yes, yeah. They're all fun. They're all They're great. All fun. They are all somewhat interchangeable apart from Tegan and Sarah. Not in look, obviously, but in like no. role. They mm -hmm. I don't find the characters of the friends super well defined with the exception of Maya. I think Maya and Phoebe, but like Phoebe is there primarily just as a kind of like sexual interest and she you know, there's a lot of heartbreak when her mother discovers her and Sarah in bed together. And their relationship is kind of the the one that's most drawn out over the course of this single season. And it's interesting. But yeah, like, it's hard to say that anyone is truly a character except for Simone and the twins. Yeah, it's very true. Uh, shout out to two fantastic supporting characters. Mm -hmm. You know it's been shot in Canada because Jane Eastwood is in it, <laughs> playing mm -hmm. June the piano teacher. Perfect role for right. Jane Eastwood. Yep. And definitely a good casting choice to give their biological dad a bit more heart in, mm -hmm. the, in the TV series, but he's played by Nate Cordry. Yeah, I wondered if, if if this was one of those things, you and I have joked a couple of times about how Netflix seems to have a stranglehold on certain actors yeah. that they have to appear contractually <laughs> in certain properties. Yeah. This is the second show that we've seen Nate Caudry show up in uh, after Paper Girls. Yep, that's right. I liked him in that one, too. I always, I mean, he's a very likable person. Mm -hmm. And their birth dad, who they don't see a lot of, but he's still in their lives, Tegan and Sarah, um, he's not a very effectual parent in the book. The, there's no. this sort of ongoing thing where, like, if they have any kind of actual problem, they have to go to their mom because he just, like, can't cope with actual problems. Yeah, he literally kicks them out of the house for fighting. Yeah. He's like, don't bring that here. I don't want you doing that if you're going to be here. And it's like okay, <laughs> I guess we're not going to act like real people who have problems then. Yeah, I guess I just won't be parented when I'm at your house, Dad. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we haven't really introduced the sort of narrative conceit of this show. So it's eight episodes. It really only covers the first year of high school. So if 
the show were to continue, there would be more of the book to cover. Mm-hmm. I don't think that this has made enough of a splash. I would be surprised if it gets a second season. But it's interesting because the the TV show tries to adopt the same sort of format as what the book does of sort of alternating perspectives often of the same kind of event. Mm-hmm. So we get to see Tegan's perspective and then we see Sarah's or vice versa. And then every once in a while we shake it up and we get Simone's or we get Phoebe's or we get David's. And I think it works well with the twins and I don't really care for it most of the rest of the time. The problem with it as a choice is it elevates characters to the center mm-hmm. when the series isn't going to spend enough time on them otherwise and part of my problem with it particularly with simone's character as their mom Mm -hmm. is that we get i think maybe three segments from simone's perspective um and it it creates a simone character who is basically like living in utter desperation oh yeah she hates everything about her life but she can't bring herself to say anything Within the context of the book, it's definitely clear that Bruce and Sonia are having problems. Like, that mm-hmm. marriage is not going to last. And there's this recurring bit with Bruce where he's really concerned that if his relationship with Sonia ends, he will lose his relationship to the girls. And he's been mm-hmm. in their lives since they were five. Like, yeah. he's a really – he's a really com- he's more of a dad to them than their dad is, really, on like a day-to-day kind of level. Mm-hmm. But – Instead, that kind of gets sanded down in the series to the point where, like, Simone is negative, miserable, trapped, but not doing anything about it. Mm -hmm. And Patrick, as the Bruce character, is, like, long-suffering. And it just ends up being, like, instead of two adults sort of working their way through life through the perspective of two girls who aren't really seeing the whole story – The TV show tries to give us the whole story, but Mm -hmm. can't within the confines of the time. And I, honest to God, just wish they hadn't bothered. Because (laughs) some of my favorite stuff, like in the very first episode when we see the first day of high school from Tegan's perspective and then Mm -hmm. from Sarah's perspective, and it turns out they both ate lunch alone around the corner from each other. And it's it's so impactful. Perfect. It's so impactful. It's so, so good. But then as you expand it out to characters who really have nothing there, like especially the David one makes no sense. Oh, I was so mad at that one. (laughs) Because it's like, we haven't ever met this character and this is the opening of the show. It's not a particularly long segment. No. But it is about five minutes of about a 25 to 30 minute episode. And we just spend it with him grocery shopping and sitting down at dinner. And it's like, I know there's going to be a payoff, but why are you wasting precious screen time when you barely have enough to do anything justice? So I understand why they were doing it, but it felt like, yeah, we were misusing it every time we ventured too far away from the twins. Yeah, I agree completely. It was nice sometimes to have Phoebe's perspective or Maya's, particularly in the more emotionally resonant scenes with the as mm-hmm. the relationships are kind of under tension. But, you know, we've talked about this before. Shows that focus on teenagers yes. often have a hard time deciding how much adult to give us. Mm-hmm. And they tend nowadays, and I think it's because they're trying to court a cross-generational audience oh for sure they tend to err on the side of too much parents there is definitely too much simone in this series which is a shame because colby smulders is great oh she's so good yeah she's so good she's just she's in a different show she's in a show about a failed marriage and that's not the show i'm trying to watch yeah which is so funny right because i felt like as the series progressed and i mean progressed is 
loosely because really eight episodes 25 to 30 minutes is not a ton of time to work Mm -hmm. with I actually really did find that I was gravitating to the parent storylines like her and Patrick's relationship I found really fascinating to the point where I almost wanted to watch that show more because so much of Tegan and Sarah as I said we only get about half the episodes dealing with their their work as singer songwriters Mm -hmm. so the rest of the time I was like in some ways this is a pretty mundane slice of life YA narrative it's two teenage girls who are a little bit destructive who don't really feel like they fit in at high school yeah I also feel like one piece that the show loses track of the book is often funny or playful don't get me wrong there's Mm. like a clear melancholy that runs through the text Mm -hmm. that's that's important but you know Tegan and Sarah for those who know them as musicians, are quite known for like their live show, their on-stage banter, their sense of yes, humor with each yes, other. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And the book has that, right? Like there's always this sense of kind of teasing about themselves, about the moment. Like it's walking that line very carefully between a too much adult perspective on a teenage memoir and mm-hmm. having a sort of knowing eye at what the girls are doing at any moment. Sure. And I feel like the like the TV show gets pretty bleak at times. Like, it really does. It, it, wanna, it wants to lean into the sadness. Like even yeah. to the point where at one point Patrick's father dies. Yeah. And I could feel the show wanting me to have a kind of emotional reaction to it. And I just thought, I never even met that character. No, he's so just a no. voiceover. Not only is he just a voiceover, but you know, one of the things that happens in the book is that um, when Bruce's dad dies and Bruce's dad or stepdad, anyway, he dies mm-hmm. by suicide. And right. it's a point in the book because the girls feel really guilty that they feel more for what Kurt Cobain has mm-hmm. suffered yes. than they do for this guy, Ed, who they only sort of knew. The TV show is very tentative about it. If, you, if you're watching closely enough, you recognize that Patrick's father in the TV series has died by suicide, but it's- I didn't pick that up. It's literally, it's a moment where Tegan says to Simone, why would he have done that? And mm. Simone says, we don't get to know why. This is just one of those things in life. We don't get to know why. And, okay. But if you mm. missed that, which which you did, Joe, you I don't did. even get that part. So so the, the whole careful thing that the text is doing about how like- suicide existed kind of culturally because of Cobain in the mm-hmm. 90s and like all of that is lost in the TV series and instead we spend like a pronounced amount of time at the wake for reasons that are not clear to me yeah I did feel like the show wanted to emotionally manipulate us a little bit more than I was comfortable with particularly given who it was doing it with like Patrick is not enough of a character to have that kind of reaction to. And no. then even in the final episode, when predictably everything comes to a head, so Simone decides she doesn't want to go back to Patrick, so she drives off into Destination Unknown, and uh, Sarah has left the big gig that they finally booked at a house party so that she could go and confront Phoebe, who is going off to Montreal for a summer. And we end on all of these minor cliffhangers, but I was just like, no, I don't. Mm-mm, I'm not. You did not earn this. You did not earn my concern to this degree. <laughs> yeah, like I don't. I don't know if this just needed more episodes or a tighter focus. But I felt a lot more in the early episodes mm-hmm. 
And then in the back half, I just started to feel like the show was a little aimless. Yeah, I agree. And I think part of it is, you know, you said, Joe, it's 22 to 31 minute episodes. There's only eight of them. Mm -hmm. But in addition to that, so often we're seeing the same scene twice or even three times. And so if you think about that, you actually only have like four episodes of new content in a Mm -hmm. lot of ways. And so, yeah, the the desire to stretch out our emotional connection beyond just Tegan and Sarah, but also to care about this sort of triangle that's happening between Maya and the other girl and (laughs) the relationship that's falling apart with Lily and that boy and Mm, Simone and Patrick's marriage, but also that friend of Simone's who we're also supposed to care about at some point. And then we've got the dead stepdad, also Mm -hmm. David, the dad we never really learn about. Like, there's just too many threads. And I think... Tell me, tell me if I'm wrong, because you watch a lot more of this stuff with a critical eye than I do. Okay. Do you think that with the way series have to grab an audience in season one, mm-hmm. or they're never going to come back with this sort of streamer culture of like one season and then cross your fingers? Yep. Once again, go back, listen to Paper Girls. Do you think there's this desire to just throw everything creative at the wall? Like, here are all the threads we might pick up in a season two. So take a risk on us because we could do all these things. Oh, boy. Uh, Quite possibly, but definitely with things like this cliffhanger Mm -hmm. ending that we get. Like, this is very, is a very, very obvious bid for this is why you need to pick us up for season two, because if not, you will get no resolution. And that, unfortunately doesn't work out a lot of the time no how many of these shows have we only gotten to the end of and never gotten any resolution with like so many Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it's a very big gamble and i almost wish that storytellers either had the confidence to be able to say no i'm not going to do that i'm just going to tell a contained story and hope that people pick up what i'm putting down and then we get more or that they were not being pressured to do so mm. by studios who were saying like, okay, well, you've got to hook an audience, so we need to have adults, we need to have teenagers, we need to have acid, we need to have music, we need to have sex, like, all the things need to be in here. And as a result, we kind of get a little bit of everything and not a lot of anything. The end result, too, is that Unlike in the book where music becomes the thing that the girls unlock to focus themselves, Mm -hmm. music becomes just one more complication in the series. Like the fact that Sarah would just walk away from that gig is so Uh. not true to anything that is suggested by the book, which is fine, right? Like we're not looking for – I'm not looking for a true-to-life adaptation, but Mm -hmm. it's just – it's a very interesting choice to just make music one more mess for them to unravel than to make it the thing that cleans up all the other messes yeah and i can't help but wonder if people who actually do know tegan and sarah or who read the book are going to be more frustrated as a result because it just feels like the series is almost less interested in the music like it uses it to propel the emotional relationship stakes like even the way that maya reacts to tegan quote-unquote ditching her to make music with sarah and you're like Oh, okay. Um, Doesn't make any sense. I don't fully believe on this, but okay. And well, and part of that is the accelerated timeline. Yeah, you know, Sarah has been horrible to Tegan. In the book, they're horrible to each other, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas in the TV series, it's really like Tegan is put upon, Sarah is cruel, and Maya is standing on the outskirts, going, "Why would you want to spend time with that person?" And it's right. kind of like, "Yeah, why would you I want to spend know. time with that person?" <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. All in all, I I like a lot of the performances in the TV show. I think the twins are especially good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like a big discovery. But Mm -hmm. I think it needed a little bit more room to breathe and a slightly tighter focus. I also think that, unfortunately, this is such a quiet show in a Mm -hmm. lot of ways. Like, it almost reminded me of my so-called life. Yes. Oh, strong vibes. But the problem is, it's like... These are not shows that make a big cultural moment when they first debut. Like, they get discovered. I can see people picking this up down the line and wondering why more of it didn't get made or why the season is so short. But I unfortunately don't think it's going to be loud enough to ever get that. Yeah, I would also be surprised, which is a shame because there are a lot of neat things. And it's another one of those examples of, like... We don't often see shows like this, No, right? we don't see shows like this. Quiet, queer, coming of age in Canada. Mm-hmm. That was a lot of cuh sounds, but... Um, <laughs> Thanks for the edit. Yeah. No problem. Um, but we don't normally get to see this kind of storytelling, and so it's a shame. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I almost would have loved to see... You're going to laugh at me, but, mm-hmm. like... We had this kind of golden age of Canadian television at the very end of the 90s, beginning of the 2000s, where CBC was like spending money on shows. And so you'd end up with things like you'd get a three season run of something that probably like 100,000 people watched, maybe. And I, I kind of wish that this had emerged in that moment because, I mean, it couldn't have, right? Like, chronologically, it's impossible. But that's the kind of support that I think a show like this needs, like mm-hmm. a committed network that's trying to flesh out a programming block that attracts right. a range of demographics instead of it just getting kind of fired into the streaming atmosphere and hope yeah. for the best. Also with little to no marketing and promotion. Yeah, like basically none. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, do you want to do some YA bingo? I do. I really do. Okay. Bingo! Not a good bingo. Okay. Obviously, musicality. What? Yes. I know. And I'm going to make an argument for, like, text montage, because a lot of Mm. the way the vignettes kind of fit together, they do feel, especially once they get going with their musical career, it felt Mm. like the equivalent of reading a montage somehow. Interesting. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Yeah. We do have a prom. Not a very successful prom, but we have mm-hmm. one in the book. Okay. Um, we have a female director yep. and screenwriter, right? Mm-hmm. And I want to go for good friendships between the two of them, particularly in the book. Right. I don't always buy the connection between Tegan and Sarah in the series. It helps that they're played by literal twins. But right. if they were just siblings, you wouldn't believe that they actually liked each other. Um, but in yeah. the book, their friendship is quite a beautiful thing in the way it, mm-hmm. it ebbs and flows. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, we also get a number of perfect dates. Oh, uh, yeah. Whether you want to count that as perfect gigs uh, for their music career or just with some of the girls, it's like they they have a couple of like really memorable moments. Mm -hmm. Uh, We do get a road trip to Vancouver in the book so that they can go and uh, do a big show that kind of starts them on the road to getting booked by an an actual agency. Yes. I'm going to say stunt casting for Smolders because... Oh, yeah, I think that's fair. Like, she's an MCU character, so even though she is Canadian and she still does these kinds of productions, I'd say, like, she's a pretty household name. No, I agree. I'm going to say hollow romances for both the book and the TV show. And 
it sounds a little mean because these are real people, but some of these relationships, I'm just like, girls, these are crushes. <laughs> like, that girl does not like you in that way, and yeah. you need to move on. Yes, 100%. I agree with that entirely. <laughs> I honestly, I want to make an argument for the chosen one, okay. for them as a band, from the hmm. moment that they start to get recognized, basically from the Garage Wars scene onwards in the book. Because it really is like... It feels inevitable. It feels inevitable, Yeah. Yeah. We do have queer secondary characters littered throughout. Mm -hmm. uh, sadly, not many of these characters seem to know it themselves, but we can very clearly see like some of these girls are going to come out as queer. Yes. And then I guess the final obvious one is that this is very definitely uh, filmed in the territory known as Canada. Yes, absolutely. Delightfully so, right? Like it's embracing the fact that it is in a Canadian locale. Ten years ago, this this book would have probably been adapted to somewhere in the Midwest. So oh, I think it's so yeah. fascinating. This is one of the opportunities of streamers, right? Is smaller mm -hmm. stories in smaller places and taking that risk. So yeah. that was nice to see. Yeah, especially somewhere like Alberta, right? Like we don't often see a television show set in Calgary. Yeah, that's not Heartland. Oh my gosh. Okay, <laughs> moving on, moving on. That does give us a line. Woohoo! Good job, Tegan and Sarah. All right. So, Brenna, before we say where we're going next, if people want to get a hold of us, say, because they're maybe reading All-American Boy for book club in the new year, how would they get a hold of us? Good question, Joe. You can find us on the Twitters at HKHSPod or on the hashtag HKHSPod. But if you are reading for book club, you should email us HKHSPod at gmail.com. Now, Joe, mm -hmm. if they want to write to you, uh, how do they do that? Yeah, if you want to talk to me about Calgary rave culture in the <laughs> 90s, I can be reached at B Stole My Remote, and that's the letter B. If you want to talk to me about not Calgary, not <laughs> rave culture, but the 90s, you can go. find me at Brenna C. Gray, and that's Gray with an A. Nice. Okay, so I'm excited for our next episode, Joe. I... <laughs> I'm prepared to go along with this, although I'm also slightly worried. <laughs> so I very rarely make programming suggestions on the show, mostly mm -hmm. because Joe fills in the calendar and I just go along with it. Yes. It's, I just roll with it. That's my role here. As we said, you, you're not prone to doing conflict and drama, so you roll with it. Yeah. <laughs> but over a year ago, I was like, hey, Joe, did you know that next Christmas will be the 25th anniversary of Spice World? Mm -hmm. And Joe said, so? <laughs> I don't think I was that dismissive. I just don't have a relationship with this. I mean, I obviously know who the Spice Girls are, but I never watched the movie. I'm very excited to see this film again. I watched it exactly one time mm -hmm. 25 years ago. Nice. So I'm stoked to see it. I have a real soft spot for the Spice Girls. Oh, and yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm excited to talk about where they are now, mm -hmm. etc. So yeah, Spice World. You know you want to watch it. There That's next go. week's episode. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, very, very excited to give it a shot. <laughs> so until next time, I will see you on the page. And I will see you on the spice screen. Bye-bye. <laughs> and then uh, Sarah also develops a bit of a crush on Natalie. Nope. But yeah, so in the context of the book, we have this... I, I, I There's... Uh, if, mm. But she's definitely 
going romantically with a bunch of well not a bunch of girls let me try that again 